0: All right, well, open your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, we're going to be in chapter 11 together. Uh, The Gospel of John is just an amazing book because as we've been walking through, we've been considering the life and ministry of Jesus. We've been asking a simple question, who is this Jesus? As we hear about the miracles that he does, as we hear the messages that he declares, who is this Jesus? John says that we are invited to believe that he is more than a man or a prophet, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, that he is the Son of God who invites us to receive eternal life in his name. And so as we walk through this, this, this book chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it's not just a question of of what the scriptures say, but how you and I are going to respond to the truth of who Jesus declares himself to be. Uh, It's interesting to note that throughout John's gospel, Jesus makes seven I am statements concerning himself. We've already looked at four of the seven. Today we're going to look at the fifth. As Jesus is going to declare, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, Whoever believes in me, though he may die, shall live And we're going to unpack that together and consider what that means concerning Jesus and what our response to that declaration is. Uh, It's interesting to note up to this point who Jesus has already claimed to be. Uh, Jesus in uh, chapter 6, verse 35, he began by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus was saying there, just as bread sustains and satisfies physical life, Jesus says, I sustain and satisfy spiritual life. Jesus in chapter 8, verse 12 declared, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus says, all of us are walking around in a world of darkness, trying to take hold of this false religion or that philosophy, and Jesus says, in a world of darkness, I am your guide. I am the light that will lead you to salvation and everlasting life. Forgiveness of sins, the abundant life in his name. Jesus, in chapter 10, he made a couple more claims. He said, I am the door to the sheep, chapter 10, verse 7. And then he he, he followed up in verse 9 what he meant by that. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. You know, Jesus was saying, he says, I am the way that leads to salvation. I am the way that leads to everlasting life. Enter through me. But not only that, if you enter through me, you will also enter and you'll go in and out and find pasture. That's the abundant life. He went on to say the thief, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And now... As we enter into chapter 11, Jesus is about to claim another thing. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who is this Jesus? Let's go ahead and read the text. We're going to be reading verses 1 um, all the way to verse 26 together. Uh, The text reads this way. Chapter 11, verse 1 to 26. Now, a, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, It was that Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so... When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, "'Let us also go that we may die with him.'" So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, "'Lord, If you had been here, my brother would have not died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. As we get to walk through this narrative, we're just going to go through the first part of the chapter this week, and then you'll have to come back for the second part. But as we dig into the, the text together, we're considering who Jesus is in light of the message and the miracle that he's about to do. A message where he declares, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he should die, shall live." I mean, that's quite the claim. That's quite the promise. As we walk through our text in just the first six verses, if I could share with you who Jesus is, he invites. He's the one who invites us to to call on him in a time of need. He invites us to call on him in a time of need. In the first six verses, we see the the reason for the need. We're introduced to a man by the name of Lazarus. Verse 1 said, Now a certain man was sick. If you've been with us through John's Gospel, this happens a lot. There are certain people who are sick, certain people who are blind. You walk through the gospels, you know the story. Like you see a blind man, Jesus is gonna give him sight. That's what he does. You see a sick man, Jesus is gonna heal him. A lame man, this man's gonna leap very soon. And and now we hear there's a certain man who is sick, and his, his name is Lazarus. Our expectation, if you've been reading with us and walking through these chapters together, what's Jesus going to do? He, he's going to heal him, right? That's what Jesus does. And so we're introduced to him. He's a certain man who was sick. And next, we learn that he's a certain man who is sick. He, he's from Bethany. Bethany is just a couple miles from Jerusalem, Jesus spends a lot of time in Jerusalem, right, going about his ministry. And uh, he spent a lot of time with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so they are near and dear to Jesus's heart, and Jesus is near and dear to their heart. We're reminded just how relational Jesus truly was. I mean, he walks around for three years with disciples who are following him and he goes and he he goes about the ministry, teaching about the kingdom of God and doing miracle signs and wonders and declaring the message of the kingdom of God to come that he is the savior of the world who grants forgiveness and everlasting life. And so we learn he's, he's, He's from Bethany, this Lazarus, and then we also learn that Bethany is the same place where Mary and Martha are located. Verse 2 tells us Mary and Martha's brother is Lazarus. Some of you might be wondering, because there's a lot of Marys in Scripture, which Mary are we talking about? John tells us. She's the one who had anointed Jesus. Now, we're not going to get to it in the Gospel of John until the next chapter, in chapter 12, but... This was well known to the readers, apparently, because Jesus, I mean, John, he makes this mention of, her. this is the Mary who had anointed Jesus, who demonstrated sacrificial devotion to the Lord Jesus by anointing him with this fragrant oil. We'll get to it in chapter 12, and, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. Even today, if you ever saw that just coming into church, you saw some lady putting some fragrant oil on somebody and then wiping their feet with their hair, you'd be like, that's some weird stuff. But it was an expression of Mary's love and devotion for Jesus, her sacrificial love for Jesus, taking this costly ointment and giving it all. And actually, it was a fulfillment of anointing the body of Christ for his, his burial, he's going to die. But but, but this is the Mary we're talking about. The the sisters, Mary and Martha and their brother, Lazarus. And so there's a great need. There is a need for healing. And when there's a certain man who is sick, who can heal? I mean, there's this guy by the name of Jesus who's doing amazing miracle signs and wonders. I mean, we've heard about it all throughout the Gospel of John. Remember in chapter 4 when there was a a man who, who searched for Jesus because he was looking for him because his his boy was sick. And he said, if I only find Jesus and tell him to come with me, then then my boy will be healed. And he finally finds Jesus. And, and Jesus says, go back home. And he says, in this very hour, your son has been healed. And it's true. This boy, Jesus is able to heal even at a distance. He doesn't even have to go to the boy and touch him and heal him. This is who we're talking about. I mean, this is the same Jesus in the next chapter, chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda remember a man who had been sick for over 30 years a paralytic and Jesus there's tons of sick folks but Jesus has his eye on this man and he says take up your your mat and walk Jesus heals him and so certainly even in chapter 10 too also remember the blind man who was blind from birth and and the blind man's testimony I was blind but because of this Jesus now I see he didn't just receive physical sight he also received spiritual sight and he trusted believed in Jesus and now it's Lazarus now it's a certain man who who is sick certainly Jesus is going to heal him and so you see the need for healing secondly you see the request for healing verse 3 it tells us it says therefore the sisters sent to him They don't go to Jesus, Uh, maybe he's a a day's journey out, so this messenger takes a day to go out, takes a day to come in, that's just a guess. So they send a messenger to Jesus, and it's interesting how they make their request. First they call him Lord, Master, and they say, behold, look. Uh, They say, he whom you love is sick. They don't even make a request. They don't have to. This is Jesus. They know him well. They love him and he loves them. And they say, the, the one you love, Jesus, is sick. Certainly you care for him. You're a, you're, you're a God of miracle signs and wonders. Certainly you can make the journey and, and, and heal him. We're not just talking about a a common cold. We're talking about a man who is on his deathbed and he needs some divine intervention or this man is going to die. You have to understand the desperation here. These are sisters. You've got the modern medicine we have today. You can't call 911. Their 911 call is to Jesus. And so they send out a message saying, Jesus, come quickly. The one whom you love is sick if someone tells you that the one you love is sick and they're on their deathbed, I'm not just talking about a common cold, what do you do if you love them? You rush to their side. It doesn't matter if they're across the country. You only have a few hours with them. As a parent, a loved one. You make the journey. You come immediately. My my loved one? is about to die, that's what you do, right? If you truly love them, you're going to immediately go. And so they they make the request. The expectation is Jesus, who loves Lazarus, who loves Mary and Martha, who has the power and the ability to heal. If they didn't believe Jesus had the ability to do this, why would they send a message and bother him accordingly? They believe he's going to heal their brother. And so they send a message. And then we get to read about the response. Verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said this. Now, Mary and Martha aren't there. Maybe the messengers there, his disciples certainly. It says, this sickness is not unto death. You can imagine the disciples are those around. Oh, thank goodness. He's going to make it. He's going to pull through. Jesus let us know. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What's the reason for this sickness? Jesus says, um, it's it's not going to end in death. Now, Jesus does not promise he's not going to die. What Jesus is saying, in the end, when all things work themselves out, in the end, it's not going to lead to death. How is that possible? Well, I don't know if you've ever read ahead. You might want to check ahead and, and you'll see Jesus doesn't just have the power to heal. He also has the power to raise the dead. I don't know if this is new to anybody, but this is exciting if it is, because if you've just been reading up to this point, you've never read the Gospel of John or heard about this Jesus. Okay, he can heal the sick. He can make the lame leap. He can even make the blind see. But resurrect the dead? Jesus can even raise the dead. He says this sickness is not unto death. What is the purpose of this sickness and the plan of God? It's for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. Through this sickness, Jesus is going to glorify the Father and is going to glorify himself. Did you know in the end, it's actually not about this man? It's not even about us. It's about the Lord and about his glory. You know, often when we're facing suffering or, or we feel as if God has, has allowed a delay in our life, he's silent or he hasn't answered the prayer, we ask God, God, don't you care? Lord, don't you know the suffering I'm going through? Don't you know the pain I'm, I'm navigating? Lord, don't you even care? And, and yet we see the bigger picture. We don't see it from our vantage point, but it's all for the glory of God. And we see uh, what Jesus declares. And then verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What we're gonna see in just a moment is Jesus is going to delay. It's, it's kind of weird because it says, verse six, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Well, wait a second. That's, that doesn't make sense. We just said if you really care for someone, If you really love someone and and you've heard that they're on their deathbed, even if you can't heal them, you come to their side. You come and meet them. If you've got the the medicine and no one else has it, I mean, what kind of a terrible person doesn't come to the side of the one who is sick? And so some people, when they're facing suffering or, or maybe a delay from the Lord, they ask, Lord, do you, can we be honest? Lord, do you love me? I mean, Because because if you have the power to heal, you're sovereign. You're the creator of heaven and earth. You can do all things. You can move mountains. You're mighty to save it. And you don't heal me. Lord, do you not love me? But we see the reason he delayed was not because he didn't love Mary and Martha. The reason he delayed is for a greater purpose, for his glory. But that doesn't mean they understand that. Mary and Martha haven't read the story. They don't know the rest of the chapter. They, they don't un- All they know right now is they need Jesus to come to heal their brother. There is pain. There is sorrow. As they're writing this, tears are, are falling from their face. Jesus, if you don't come, this he's not going to make it. They don't make the request. They just say, the one whom you love is sick. You've got to come quickly. But the reason he delayed was not because he loved it. It says that he... He loved them and and so he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then verse 7, then after that he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Let me just pause there before we move forward. Who is, who is Jesus in light of these first six verses? Jesus is the one who invites us to call him call upon him in, in time of need. Anyone have any needs today? Physical, spiritual? Emotional, mental? Jesus is the one who who invites us to, to call upon him right here right now. You need Jesus? Do you know who he is? Like if you've been reading about this, Jesus, the bread of life, uh, the light of the world, uh, the door to the sheep, the, the good shepherd. And now the resurrection and the life as we're going about to see, if you truly know who Jesus is and you believe it, who do you come to in time of need? I'm not going to the doctors first. I'm calling on his name first. I'm not going to check it with my neighbor or the expert on this or that. I'm calling upon Jesus. He invites us to, to, to follow him. If I could give you a couple takeaways, the, the, the first one would be this. Jesus invites us to learn to trust him even when we, we don't understand him. You think Mary and Martha understood what was going on and he delays for a couple days before he actually goes? You better believe Mary and Martha can't understand why Jesus wouldn't be in such a rush to come. He invites us to to trust him even though we don't understand him. and, And if you don't understand him right now, you may not see the bigger picture in light of the present suffering, but you can know this, that through suffering through what seems to be a delay, what seems to be God's silence is, is actually God working all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You may not understand it all, but you can know in light of Romans 8.28 and in, in texts like this, he's working for my good and for his glory. I can trust him. I don't understand him, but I can trust him. Uh, Secondly, Jesus reminds us to prioritize God's glory over comfort. You would think that what Jesus wants more than anything is Mary, Martha's, and Lazarus' happiness. That they would be happy and that they would be comfortable. You think they're happy and they're comfortable? Jesus loves them too. Of course he wants them to be happy. Of course he wants them to be comfortable. But he prioritizes his glory and his divine purposes over comfort, happiness. And what we would think is number one for us. That's what we get to see in light of our text. And then thirdly, Jesus invites us to call on him, especially when we need him. Uh, Does anyone need him today? You don't just call on him when... When you have an emergency, you call on him every single day. I don't just need him when, when everything seems to be falling apart. I need him every moment of every day. Jesus, I need you. I need your presence. I need your perspective. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need you. And so whether things are going well or things are not, I know what I need is him every single day. I always like to open up up for for, uh, discussion if I could ask us this. Uh, What do you find yourself turning to other than Jesus in in times of trouble and in in times of need? And why don't you always come to Jesus first, knowing that he can meet our our every need? Who do you find yourself, or what do you find yourself turning to other than Jesus in, in those desperate times of need or just in those daily needs you have? What keeps us away? What keeps us distracted? Yeah, Larry. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we start trusting in our experience. We think uh, in light of our wisdom and... Uh, uh, what we have, we we can do it on our own. Yeah, yeah very independent. Yeah. Anything else that keeps you from from calling on Jesus in times of need, Charlie? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you can call call up Jesus any moment of any day and say, Jesus, help me with this, yeah. Good stuff, yeah. Yeah. Anything else, anyone else want to share? Yeah. There's a lot of things that distract us, uh, whether it's our own pride, whether it's our independence, uh, whether... As we forget who Jesus is do we really believe what we read about in scripture we've been Christians we've been following him for years but we think we, we know of experts in this field or that field and yet you think he's the first one you call upon in a time of need and, and so oh yeah go ahead, go ahead. oh yeah Yeah. Anyway, maybe you don't want him involved in your decision making because you want to get what you want before he gets involved. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes uh calling on the Lord might make us have to change something or do something different. Um yeah, Kathy. Just convince ourselves we don't actually have the need to go and call upon the name of the Lord in, in meeting that need. Yeah, Leslie? Yeah. Oh yeah, we want things now. We want it on our timing. We live in a microwave Christianity mindset. You know, I want it now. I want it quickly. When the reality is, we've got to trust God uh, through that. Uh, you know, it made me think of his, with this conversation, uh, um, uh, just the just the different. Uh, different struggles people have in regards to uh, suffering. And and in light of the suffering, if I can ask one more follow-up, how might you minister to a fellow brother or sister in Christ who's questioning God's love for them because of their their suffering? Uh, The reason Mary and Martha were suffering was not because um, Jesus didn't love them, but it doesn't mean we don't struggle with that. How do you minister to someone like that who says, does Jesus really love me if he's allowing me to... Experience this? What do you say? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, just being reminded of what Jesus has endured himself, the suffering he went through had a purpose, our salvation, everlasting life, and so suffering is sometimes part of his plan and sometimes part of his purpose yeah, yeah. anything else yeah. i I always think of warning folks from uh, from from false teaching, especially prosperity gospel stuff you know right like people say what god's will for your life whether you're sick whether you're hungry whether you're tired whether you're you're financially inept is god's will is is for your prosperity your health and your wealth immediately speaking that may not be so Now, now 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 he's the one who leads us in and out to find pasture that's the true abundant life right We talked about what the abundant life is. It's not health, wealth, and happiness. The abundant life is finding contentment in the care of my shepherd. And whether I'm going through the valley or whether I'm going through the green pastures, I can know that my shepherd cares for me and I can trust him. Because as dark as the valley, even of the shadow of death may be, I know he's going to get me to the other side. yeah yeah oh yeah yeah and so so he sees the the bigger picture, and even in times of discipline that causes us to suffer it it has a Greater purpose behind it. When, when our uh, when our son was in the hospital, he was a preemie, and so when he was born on the second day, they had to uh, put some things into his lungs to help them develop. So they they stuck this thing down his throat, and as a father, you got to watch him suffer. Like everything in me wants to grab the doctor and push him away. Like, what do you think you're doing? All the nurses are around him. Leave the kid alone. He just came out. I mean, he's, a pre- he's only three and a half pounds and you're, gonna, and you're gonna welcome into the world with this? But the reality was that that temporary suffering was for a greater purpose and it helped develop his lungs while they're shoving this thing down his throat and thankfully it developed his lungs. But in light of suffering, God has a greater purpose and he understands. I couldn't explain that to my son at uh, day two of his life, right? But I knew that was what was best for him. Uh, who is Jesus? Jesus invites us to call on him in time of need. Uh, secondly, Jesus, as we continue to read in uh, verses uh, seven to 16, uh, is in, invites us to walk in his presence and in his purposes. Invites us to walk in his presence and his purposes as we follow him. Verse seven, it says, then Jesus said to them, or, um, Verse seven, then after this, he said to the disciples, "Let us go to Judea again." And Jesus invites them to go to Judea again. If you remember at the end of chapter 10, um, as Jesus is ministering in and around Jerusalem in the temple, uh, hostility towards Christ is on the rise. And folks are not just upset about Jesus and His ministry. They want to kill him. And so on a number of occasions, I mean, they literally have rocks in their hands ready to take Jesus out, but it's not yet his time. And so at the end of chapter 10, he he departs to where John the Baptist had ministered, uh, uh, past the Jordan, And, and then we see here he wants to return to Judea and And what the disciples do for him is they think they're doing him a favor and they want to remind Jesus of the danger in Judea because maybe he forgot, you know. And so we read about that verse 8. It says, then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, lately the Jews sought to stone you and, and you are going there again. So the disciples do him a favor, or at least they think they are. Jesus, maybe you've forgotten. If you go back there, they're going to either have you arrested, get you stoned. I mean, it's not going to be good you now ultimately as jesus is going to head back there he is going to die but if you remember earlier jesus says no one takes my life from me i lay my life down so that i might take it up again as we're going to see in a moment he says i am the resurrection and the life you know up to this point at least even in the gospels we see the greatest miracle is these healings jesus does but in a moment, he's going to resurrect Lazarus, who is going to die. Hate to spoil the story for you. After Lazarus dies, he's going to raise him from the dead. What an amazing miracle. Who has the power to raise the dead? Well, who is Jesus? He is the resurrection <laughs> and the life. Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again. So they remind him of the, the, the danger, and he responds by reminding them of his mission. You read that verse 9, it says, Jesus answered and asked, are there, not nine, are, are there not 12 hours in the day? When Jesus is talking about the day, he's talking about the time that he's ministering on the earth. There is only so much time that he has on the earth to go about his earthly ministry to accomplish his purposes that, have, that he has been sent from heaven to earth by the Father to accomplish. And so there are only 12 hours in the day, what he's saying here. And he says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. That's obvious. If you don't have a flashlight and you're walking around at night, you're going to stumble around and you're going to fall. If you're going about your work, you go about during the day. Now, they didn't have accurate clocks like we have today, and so you would measure it within a 12-hour time span. And you worked when it was light, And you stopped working when it went dark. That was just how you went about things. Verse 10, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So Jesus takes time as they remind him of the danger to remind them of his mission. I've got work to do. But Jesus is not just talking about uh, literally physical, in the physical world and realm about the, the days and hours in which you can work and not stumble while it's still light. He, he's talking also about the fact that in John chapter eight, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. What I'd like to suggest here is that Jesus is inviting his disciples on the mission. Hey, come with me to Judea and walk in my presence and walk in my divine purpose. The invitation really is in our text to to follow Jesus in light of the plan and purpose that he has for us that even in the face of danger as the light of the world he will accomplish his divine purposes through us. So there's partly that. And then verse 11 he reminds them of this. He says, These things he said and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps but I go that I may wake him up. And so Um, I don't know if you, whenever you're sick, but uh, when I was growing up, my mother said when I was sick, go to bed, get some rest, right? That's how you get better. You you don't go to school, you don't go to work. Now, sometimes we'll fight through that. We're going to say, we're going to, we got to work whether we're sick or not. We're going to, you end up getting even sicker, right? I mean, it gets worse. And so it's known, right? Like if someone is sick, you go to bed and you get some rest. And so Jesus says, Lazarus is, is only sick. He's, He's not dead. He didn't say that, right? He said he's just sick and he's just getting some rest. And so the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. That's actually advice my mother gave me, right? <laughs> so, so just let him sleep. Let him sleep a little longer. Uh, however, verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Now, I already told you, I spilled the, the beans. I already told you, Lazarus, dies but if you didn't know that this is a heartbreaking moment don't you remember verse one there was a certain man who was sick all throughout john's gospel they're sick and they get healed they're blind and then they see they're lame and then they leap i mean that's what jesus does right especially those he loves and and yet he delays two days not because he does not love them and not because of the lack of their faith but simply for the purpose of his glory. But but Lazarus is dead. How do you wrap your mind around this one? You're his disciples, you're following him for a few years, and, and this is just unusual. How do you make sense of this as you're walking through the text? Lazarus, it doesn't make sense. You, you, you may some of you have read this way too often that, that you you miss the the surprise and the pain of of the experience. So it says then, Jesus said to them plainly, because it's not connecting, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake, whoa, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus is sometimes hard to understand. Can we admit that? I mean, if you're one of his disciples, he tells you, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal him because part of my purpose is building your faith. Because Jesus doesn't just want to demonstrate that he has the power to heal. He wants to declare to them that he is more than a healer. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is not just another man and not just another prophet, not just another teacher or rabbi. Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God who offers everlasting life to anyone who will receive him and believe him. That's the invitation of John's gospel. Verse 16, Um, some of us may look at Thomas. We we know Thomas is doubting Thomas, right? He's the guy after Jesus dies uh, and rises from the dead. He says, I won't believe it till I see it. I want to see where they pierced him. I want to see those nail-pierced hands. But but Thomas is painted quite positively in light of this. It says, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus says, I'm headed there. They're saying, it's dangerous, Jesus. You're going to die, Thomas says, with great courage and great boldness. If you're going to die there, let's die with him. And you know him as Doubting Thomas. Come on, folks. You know, we look at certain people and we, we label them by their weak points when the reality is you may see Thomas one day in heaven. You'll be like, hey, hey Doubting Thomas, right? Didn't you read this? You know, Lord, will where, 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 where you go and you're going to die? Let us die with you. Now, after Jesus dies, right, all the disciples, they're shaking in fear for their life. Nevertheless, in this moment, with boldness and courage, we get to see what Thomas says. I want you to see this. Who is Jesus? Jesus invites us to follow him and to walk in light of his presence, in light of his divine purposes. They say, Jesus, don't you know it's dangerous? You could die there. Thomas says, we're going to go die with you. Jesus says, I've got a, I got a plan and, and I've got a purpose. There are only 12 hours in the day. During the night, you stumble and fall. But during the day, you can go about your business accordingly. Jesus has a mission to complete. I could give you a couple takeaways. The first one would, would be this. Follow him by walking in his presence. Um, that's what discipleship is about. Sometimes we think of discipleship as a class that we take, a, a gathering that we're, we're a part of. As, as a teacher stands on the pulpit and preaches and teaches the word, we gather together, we get released, and we go home, and that's discipleship. We did church, right? We, we did it. When the reality is, true discipleship is walking with Jesus. Whether you're here in this place, gathered in the, with the gathering of the people of God and the presence of the Lord is with us, or when you scatter throughout the week, wherever you are, be reminded we're walking in his presence. Follow Jesus. As you wake up in the morning, wake up immediately saying, Jesus, I want to make sure that the plans for my day are prepared to glorify you as I wake up, get dressed, take a shower, brush my teeth, and then head off to the grocery store or to my place of employment. I am doing it in your presence to glorify and honor you. Walk in his presence, but secondly, walk in his divine purpose for your life. You may not always understand it, but you can still trust him even when you don't understand him. Because, like the good shepherd, you can trust him and find comfort under his care. That's the abundant life that we've already talked about. That's the abundant life we're, con- we're invited to continue to enjoy. So many people in this world suffer from stress and anxiety. You take a look at the number of folks who are struggling with anxiety disorders or on this pill or that pill. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. (laughs) Come under my care. You don't worry about the things of this world. Just trust me. You in a dark valley? I'm your shepherd. I'll take care of you. I will feed you. I'll get you through the valley. I'll bring you to the green pastures. I'll lead you beside the still waters. You can trust me. Walk in his presence and walk in his divine purposes. Well, as we wrap up our text, we're also reminded that Jesus invites us to believe in him as the resurrection and the life. As we keep reading, verse 17 says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. If you know anything about a body, after four days, whether they've been embalmed or not, there, there is a process where the body begins to, to break down. Um, this body has been placed in that tomb, wrapped as it has been, and, and so I I'm, can imagine there is a stench at this point. But, but Lazarus has been gone for four days when Jesus arrives. Put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Martha. Grieving, painfully grieving the loss of their brother whom they loved and they thought Jesus loved. And yet, it's four days later and now here he is, 18. Now, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two, two miles away. And it says, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. I don't know the last time you've attended a funeral, but here in the West, our funerals tend to be quite calm, quite quiet, even when folks are grieving and crying. Um, But when you take a look at the, uh, even today in the East, with the way that people grieve, they they grieve with great sorrow, with great pain, with, with great cries. Can I suggest we don't know how to grieve here? Uh, we often like to say, hey, hey we're going to do a celebration of life, because for a Christian, they, they're, they're home with the Lord Jesus, but, but we are reminded that, that death was never part of God's plan. And there's a grieving process we all have to go through when someone dies, because it's a pain that we, we don't know how to deal with or handle, a pressure that we can't ever deal with. Now, now and that we're not going to get it to, to it today, but later, as Jesus is making his way to Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, there's a short verse, and it says, Jesus even wept, because there is great pain and, and sorrow and grief when someone dies, because it was never part of God's plan. And so I want you to just, just be, think about the pain that they're feeling, and they're gathered around with a crowd there's a few folks who've come from jerusalem and they're wailing and they're crying uh, sometimes to grieve they would take sackcloth and ashes. they put on these rough clothes to say i'm not happy you have come to my house right now i'm grieving i'm crying uh, now, now after i'm done grieving I'll, I'll move on i'm trusting the lord but right now there's a time to grieve they would take take uh uh uh, sackcloth and ashes they take these you read it in the Old Testament as they take ashes throw it on their heads and say man I just wish we were back to the to the dust that we came from and so they would grieve there is grieving there is wailing and Jesus hears it and I want you to know Jesus is, is a God of compassion but it's not just strangers Jesus knows Mary and Martha he knows them he loves them and they're weeping and they're wailing and they're they're crying. You ever attend a funeral and you didn't know the person who passed, but you know the ones who are grieving. Your heart just breaks for them. Put yourself in the in the shoes of, of Jesus. Uh, I've attended many funerals, led many funerals. I I, I may have shared this before, but with one of the funerals that was. That was the most, one of the most painful to watch was we were at the gravesite and uh, uh, a mother had lost her son prematurely in his 40s and before it was time to, to lower the casket into the, the, the grave, as they were taking dirt and they were throwing it in quickly, this mother, she, she holds the dirt in her hands, grabs the casket and cries out, my son, my Your heart goes out to her. You better believe Jesus sees the pain. He sees the tears and he cares for them. Death is incredibly painful and Jesus cares for them as he cares for us. Is there any hope? If you've ever had to bury a loved one, if you've ever had to put someone in the grave, whether they knew the Lord or not, whether it was a premature death or not, it is a painful, sorrowful, experience but i want you to know jesus cares for you and he cares for you so much that he did something about it let's keep reading now martha as soon as she heard that jesus was coming went and met him but but mary was sitting in the house now martha said to jesus lord if you had been here my brother would not have died i want you to know this is a statement of faith and we know that because of the next statement She's saying, Jesus, I know that you have the power to heal. You have the ability to heal. But, but I know for every reason you didn't come. And so, and so he's, he's gone. He, he's died. Uh, My brother would not have died. Verse 22. But, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will, will give you. Martha says, I, I know you. I know who you are. And, and I believe that if you were here, you, he would have been healed. In verse 23... Jesus says this, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. You, you bury anybody? Any loved ones that you care about deeply? Uh, Jesus says to her, there's hope beyond the grave. Your brother will rise again. And she thinks he's just being nice about it. He, she's thinking of, of the end. Oh, of course, Jesus, Martha said to her, I know that he will rise again. In the resurrection at the last day, Jesus. I I know, I know that. Thank you for those comforting words. And Jesus said to her, I want you to listen to these words. And I want to think, want you for a moment to think to, to, to anyone you have grieved as you've placed them in the grave. I want you to hear these words, whether they were a believer or not, because this is a reminder of how important these words truly are. Because I want you to know this death for the human race is 100% for all of us. It's not just one out of 10 or, or five out of 10. It's 10 out of 10 of us are going to the grave. We're all terminal. I don't know if you know that or not. Some of us know it. Others don't recognize it as much until we receive a diagnosis or hear this or that. I want you to hear these where Jesus said to her, this is a comfort to every single one of us. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying there is hope beyond the grave. The grave for the, for the Christian and the believer is not a period, it's, it's a comma. And the reality is for all those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, receive the free gift of salvation in his name, to them are granted life eternal. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he shall die, me, I'm gonna die someday, though he may die shall live. The hope, that humanity desperately needs is found in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We're not just talking; we're not talking physically, spiritually speaking. Though you may die, you're going to live for ever and ever. So we weep, especially when a, a Christian dies. We still weep may be a celebration of life, but we weep, but we do not do so without hope because we know and trust that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him, though he may die, shall live. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus asked her. And before we hear her answer, let me just pause here and ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Martha responds and she says this. She says, yes, Lord, I believe what? That you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Martha responds and says, I know because you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world to forgive sinners guilt, who are guilty of their sins, deserving of eternal wrath and judgment. But you have provided a way through Jesus. Uh, you yourself, you are Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Do you believe? And if you believe, let me invite you to make a profession of faith in Jesus to declare, yes, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, who's come from heaven to earth to die on the cross for my sins, to grant me life eternal, to forgive me, so that I might experience the abundant life that begins now. I'm going to co- go in and I'm going to go out and I'm going to find pasture content in the care of my good shepherd, both now and forever. Amen. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we haven't even gotten to the part where Jesus gets to the tomb of Lazarus. Uh, But until next time, we eagerly await to see what Jesus is going to do as he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead as a picture of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Uh, Father, we come to you today. and. In light of the scripture, I pray, Lord, that you would shine the light of the truth of who you are in our hearts and our minds as believers who are in this room, gathered together. I pray, Lord, that we would see fresh and anew today that that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that whatever we face in this world, even death, we have no reason to fear because there is hope beyond the grave. For those who have died in Christ, there is hope of of, of everlasting life as we're going to see them again. I pray, Father, for anyone who's still a skeptic, someone who may even be a seeker today, who's still figuring out who is this Jesus, that you would shine the light of truth in their hearts right now. And Father, if if they're ready to accept you as their Savior and Lord and, and declare, I believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life May they say this prayer. Father, I recognize um, my need for Jesus. I need him. The reason I need him is because I'm a a sinner. I've, I've lived a life independent of God. I've gone my own way. I've served my own purposes. I know I've missed the mark on many occasions because I have a heart that's bent not towards doing your will, but doing my own. But I believe As the gospel of John declares that Jesus is the one who came from heaven to earth to die in my place in order that I might be given eternal life. Today I make Jesus my savior and my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of God. You are the resurrection and the life. And though I may die, I know that I will still live in you. Father, for those who are on our minds in regards to those who don't know you, may this be a message of hope that we can share with a world that's lost in darkness, with a neighbor, with a family member, with a friend. Impress that name on our hearts now, Lord. And may you enable and empower us to share this good news of who Jesus is. We pray all this. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.